Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you are here. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Some people have a knack for do-it-yourself projects. Uh, I know there's many in our congregation who have that inclination, uh, whether they paint or can build or can work on cars. Uh, I never got that, uh, that gene. I never got that gift, unfortunately. So again, I've told you before that my wife's motto to me is whenever I start a project is don't make it worse. <laughs> right? Don't make it worse. I don't know if you've ever made it worse. Um, these people made it worse. Um, if you, you probably can't see that sign on that shower, but it says, uh, here's what it says. It says, be careful, try not to touch the shower, shock. Okay, getting wet and getting shocked at the same time is a recipe for disaster. Uh, that chair, good luck sitting in that, right? Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but the handles on the door don't allow either one of those things to be opened fully. And then the last one, um, that tree is is in the center of someone's driveway. I don't know how that ever happened. I don't know if that's ever, if that's put in there, but um, those aren't those aren't all of mine, by the way. So don't judge. But like I said, some of you are good at certain DIY aspects. But even if you are a DIY do-it-yourself master. Uh, there are certain things that you should never, ever, ever, ever try at home, right? Don't try this at home. And that is especially true with DIY salvation. Do it yourself salvation. Don't try this at home. That's the message for Paul to the church in Galatia that we have for today. And Here's the thing, there was a group, and you didn't get this because we skipped some verses uh, from chapter 5 this morning. There was a group that insisted, and I mean insisted, that unless you were circumcised, uh, you really couldn't be saved, right? Sign of the Old Covenant, you could not be saved. It was absolutely necessary uh, for that to happen before you could be a Christian. And so people were looking to circumcision, really, as a prerequisite for salvation. And they were taking the focus off Jesus. That's the problem. right? That's the problem. Paul's response was something you didn't hear today, so let me read that for you. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Right? So what does this mean? Well, if you're going to insist on this part of DIY salvation, you have to keep each and every commandment perfectly. Perfectly. Not one mistake ever your whole life. Not one evil thought. Not one evil deed. Right? Not one evil word. Not one. You got one and the whole thing's off. And if that weren't enough, you and I know that we are born into the sinful nature because of Adam and Eve, right? The inherited original sin. We're born into corruption, born into slavery, with a heart, mind, and will that is chained to do sin's bidding. That's the problem. And so no one can keep 
the law perfectly. So this DIY stuff, well, if you do just this, right, you're going to end up with a mess like this. So what happens? So then what? Everything changes for humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, right? Who is true God 100%, true man 100%, who comes to restore what was lost, restore our humanity, right? And as we confess this morning, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so he does not share in our original sin. He's not corrupted. He doesn't have this inclination that you and I have. Yet, here's the thing, tempted in each and every way just as we are. And I would submit to you even more so uh, but he's, because he's got the power to kind of um, do anything he wants, right? Tempted in every way as you are, yet without sin. And so as he's proclaiming himself as the solution, right? God's promised salvation, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. He's trying to point this out. And that's why he proclaims to the Pharisees, uh, who, by the way, thought that they were really hot stuff and were really doing the DYI thing to perfection, right? That's what they thought. Not so. And he exposed that many a time, right? He did. He exposed it a lot. So he says to them, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is the problem. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's like being addicted to something, um, you know, heroin or, or um, meth or, or something like this where you just can't help but do it. It's, it controls you. It compels you, right? It's got a hold of you. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this is exactly what Jesus did. This is what he did for you specifically. He freed you from the law's condemnation, right? Because he took that condemnation on himself. He took it all. He paid the price for your sin's guilt and your sin's shame and your sin's sentence. And if that weren't enough, uh, by virtue of your baptism and through his word and through faith, he grants you his righteousness. God grants you Christ's righteousness, right? This great exchange that Luther talked about where Christ takes all of our crud and gives us all of his blessing. Paul's message is simple, and it's simple, and it still needs to be heard. Anyone who attempts DIY salvation rejects and blasphemes Christ. They are severed from Christ and have fallen away from God's undeserved favor. That's a problem. And so it's tricky. On one hand, we mustn't insist on DIY salvation. So here's what Paul writes. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm in Christ. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Right? This law that we cannot and have not kept. You are free in Christ, but you are not free without Christ, right? So we must approach 
and realize that our salvation is totally dependent on God. Totally dependent on God. You are saved because of what Christ did for you. You are saved in Christ alone, through faith alone. And you are saved because of what Christ did in you. Namely, gave you His Holy Spirit that you might believe in Jesus and in Him for your salvation, right? This dependence. You're beginning to see a dependence, right? On Christ and on the Spirit. So you might stand firm in Him and not look to something else. Well, uh, you know, God does 80% and I do 20. God does 90% and I do 10. Whatever, whatever you, whatever DIY percentage you want to give yourself, uh, just scratch that out and give it to God 100%. So you might stand firm in Christ and not, might, might not move from Him. The blueprint of salvation is not DIY. It's what Jesus did. Suffering, dying, rising to life again, ascending. But here's the problem, right? So there's two ditches. The problem is when we hear that we are totally dependent on what God did, our flesh then makes an ironic move. We're totally dependent on what God did. We're totally dependent on what Jesus did. So our flesh wants to distort the gospel and make it into an independence from God's will for our life. So what does that mean? The fallen man immediately draws this inference. If I am free, then I have the right to do whatever I please. Right? Totally dependent on God. But now we make the leap, the flesh makes the leap that I'm independent from His will. And that's not true. If I'm free, I have the right to do whatever I please. I decide how to live. I make my morality and life's DIY project. So now we've slipped into another ditch, haven't we? We are not free as we claim to be on a DIY morality, but have lost both Christ and freedom and are slaves then of the devil following his will. It's tricky. The Holy Spirit will never create faith in your works. But that same Spirit will never lead or guide you to despise God's will for your life and to reject the work that God gives you and the vocation God gives you as neighbor in your various stations in life. DIY morality is not something that belongs to the Christian. Paul deals with that as well, right? Because there's two ditches. There's two ditches. Well, it's dependent on what I do. No, it's not. Okay, well then, it doesn't matter what I do. No, that's not, that's not true either. DIY morality, the works of the flesh, are evident. You look at those and you're like, what do they look like? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Idol- sensuality is um, lack of moderation. 
idolatry, sorcery, uh, especially by the use of um, conscience-altering drugs, enmity, right? There's a space in between you and your neighbor. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, Paul says, that people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Repent. The Spirit leads us to receive and approve of and walk in the will of God, not as something that saves us, but that's something that reflects God's goodness and God's character. Doing God's will is not something that we manufacture, like, well, I just got to try harder. It's not, it doesn't come from the law, right? Although the law certainly uh, points us to uh, God's will. It comes to us by the power of the Spirit by the power of the gospel, by knowing and believing that God forgives us, renews and leads us so that we may delight in his will and walk in his ways to the glory of his holy name. It's the gospel that changes hearts. That's why we hear it again and again and again and again and again. The Holy Spirit points us to total dependence on Christ for salvation and total dependence on God for living out the Christian life in one of vocation and love for neighbor. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? We go to God's Word, right? The Word of God is always the barometer by which we know we are keeping in step with the Spirit. What does God's Word have to say? And that we're not indulging the flesh because that's the thing. Well, we'll use anything and everything to indulge the flesh, including the gospel. No, don't do that. By the leading of the Spirit, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They do not have a DIY morality. They recognize God's will as truly good, right, and salutary. And the Spirit guides and leads them by the word of the Lord and leads them in the ways of the Lord. And so what does that look like? The fruits of the Spirit. And let's explain each one of those just really quickly. I'm not going to use a whole lot of time, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? Fruit-filled Christians live in agape love. Sacrificial service. Right? Sacrificial service. That points to Christ's love for them. Because Christ is the only one who does agape love perfectly. That's what love is. It's sacrificial service according to God's will and poured out through faith. Joy. Fruit-filled Christians share cheerful confidence in Christ. In their own lives and in the lives of others. So they have lives of wholesome exhortation, praise and thanksgiving. They exhort and refresh one another in their confidence in Jesus. Peace. 
fruit-filled Christians know they have a completely restored relationship in Christ. And so are peaceable and quiet with all. They're not quarrelsome. They don't hate one another, but bear one another's burdens. And as much as it rests on you, try to get along with everyone. Patience. Fruit-filled Christians are, and in the King James Version, I think it actually uses this word, long-suffering. Long-suffering. Patience doesn't quite do justice to what the word is. Long-suffering. They not only bear adversity, insults, injury, as Christ bids us to do from our enemies, but also waits patiently for improvement in relationship with those who would do them harm. Long-suffering. Kindness. Fruit-filled Christians have a sweetness and manner in one's entire life. They are not harsh and morose, but humane, friendly, good-natured, courteous, and the like. Goodness. Fruit-filled Christians willingly help other people in need, right? It's often hard to know what that is, though. But we're called to do it anyway. Faithfulness. It's hard to explain this one. Um, Luther would say, uh, you believe everyone, but you don't trust everyone. You're like, how does that work? Here's how I interpret it. Fruit-filled Christians have a willingness to see Uh, someone else's side of the story and put the best construction on it. That's faithfulness. Gentleness. Uh, Fruit-filled Christians are not easily provoked to anger. Self-control. Fruit-filled Christians exhibit sobriety, temperance, moderation in all walks of life as compared to hedonism, sensuality. How you doing on that? quite a list. Get busy. See, I used the law there. When you read this list, you might say, holy cow. So I want to read you this. In his commentary on Galatians, Martin Luther writes this, amid great and horrible terror, when the conscience feels nothing but sin, and supposes that God is wrathful and Christ is hostile, we must not consult the consciousness of our own heart. We must consult the Word of God, which says that God is not wrathful, but that He has regard for those who are afflicted, contrite in spirit, tremble at His Word, and that Christ does not or will not turn away from those who labor and who are heavy laden. But He will revive them. In today's text, Paul wants us to be assured that the law and works, that DIY righteousness, do not bring righteousness or comfort. But that is achieved only by the Spirit through faith in the Son of God, in our Lord and Savior Jesus. Faith relies totally and completely on Jesus. But at the same time, faith cannot help but produce the fruit of God's work in us. Against such things, there is no law.
Paul sums it up perfectly. This careful balance that we must maintain. For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We know we're we're not righteous in and of ourselves. It's by faith, right? For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Then he adds for this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith. But faith working through love as is God's desire and design and power at work in you. Amen. Now may the peace which transcends all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.